Morning, how's everyone doing? Good? All right. Um, just forgot how, what I was going to say. I had something on my mind. Does obviously doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was going to wish happy birthday to Michaela, actually myself this morning, before Carlin uh, said he'd do it. But um, crazy, this is her last birthday on a Sunday until 2033. If, and if you're ever wondering when your birthday hits a certain day, when it might hit that day again, we actually were looking. Yeah, incredibly, same with Rebecca, because she had a birthday this year on a Sunday. And that's what got us started. And so we're like, you're not getting one for like another 11 years on a Sunday, because I guess leap years and all the rest of that stuff that happens, right? So anyways, uh, why don't you open up to Matthew 9. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. You know, it struck me this morning... Um, is returning to Matthew 9, how like we, we talked, we're going to touch on it a little bit this morning. We talked about it last week too. We touched on this thing of faith and believing, you know, that for God to move and for healing. And, and really, I think bigger picture, it's, it's really just faith for Jesus to move in situations. And how many situations this week alone have come up, like through our LCF prayer chat and other things where like opportunities to pray for Jesus to move miraculously, right? And, and I, I was struck by that yesterday and again this morning as we're praying for things going, there's so many opportunities. We constantly have real life stuff to go, Jesus, we need you to move. And it's, it's this thing of calling us to faith, of calling us to actually, like, do we live this out that Jesus moves like this? And so, um, my title, oh, it's not up there yet, good. Um, so, I was really back and forth about what I was going to title this morning. I wanted to come up with something, you know, really, um, you know, a little bit cheeky, if you will. Don't think I did. But uh, so I, I settled on, are you ready for a new normal? And, and the reason for that is I feel like there's, that's a little bit of what Jesus is doing here. Uh, is he's coming on the scene in Matthew. Is he is, he's unsettling a ton of norms, in the culture, and he's and he's hitting stuff constantly, and it's like he he doesn't actually he's not worried. It doesn't seem like he's really worried about what he's going to do and how this is going to this is really going to shake people, and it, and it is, and we're going to see that as we go through Matthew nine this morning. But I want I want to start on the back end of this chapter because I think that, that what what is mentioned in the last oh, two or the last three verses is really what sets the scene for what Matthew 9 is. And that is that Jesus, it says there, verse 35 and 36, that Jesus came and he's going through all the towns proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So this is what he's doing. This is, this is really what Matthew 9, over all of Matthew 9 is, Jesus is proclaiming this new kingdom that he's, he's ushering in. And then it says there that Jesus had compassion because he saw the state of the people. He saw that they were harassed and helpless, it says, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I think that sort of encapsulates what we're seeing here. And not just in Matthew 9, but certainly here in this chapter. And it's this thing of Jesus is doing a new thing. He is, he is proclaiming that there's this kingdom that he's ushering in that's coming and it's ushering a new way of living. And, and, and again, 
to really make this, um, to, to make this real in our lives, to make this for now, this hasn't changed. This, this new kingdom that Jesus ushered in keeps marching on. We're, we're now living in the days of the kingdom has come and Jesus' invitation and, and his beckoning to his people is, are you coming and, and are you walking with me as I'm ushering in my kingdom in the midst of everything else going on? And like we do, Jesus, he's encountering opposition here. He's encountering a ton of opposition as he's coming into these areas and he's, and he's ushering in this kingdom. And, and having said all that, like, is, are, is a different first century, 21st century? I mean, obviously, remarkably different times, but the message hasn't changed. The methods change. The message itself doesn't change. And I, and I would suggest that it's the same today. People are harassed and helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're, and, and, and newsflash, you're all sheep. Maybe that should have been the title, actually. We're all sheep. There you go. Just kidding, There you go. New title. We're all sheep. You need a shepherd. Yeah. We all need a shepherd. So, so I want to just go through these parts of Matthew 9. And again, I'm going to invite you to open up if you have the Bible in your devices, whatever, if you have a physical Bible, but let's, let's go along. I don't know how much I'm going to read, how much I won't read. I'm just going to kind of guide us along Matthew 9 and invite you. We'll have the scripture behind me on the screen as we kind of track through it. But Jesus is, so he's encountering opposition. He's encountering different situations here um, that Matthew is highlighting in this, in this part of his gospel. So the first thing we come to is this uh, the story of Jesus and this paralyzed man that is brought to him, right? The one that's brought to him with his friends. Uh, Mark records it as well in his gospel. And th- this, this whole scene, he, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus starts by, he says, your sins are forgiven. So he, sa- he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And this, this just gets the religious leaders in a tizzy, like, like, or in like just a total, I don't even, what, what is that word? It gets, it gets them just really worked up. Like, they're like, who is this guy? Like, Jesus, this regular rabbi, yeah, he's okay, we're, we're hearing about him, and now, like, do we ever stop as we're reading the Gospels to go, is that what I'm reading? Because that's what, we, we've been going through the Gospels with our kids lately, and we've been reading them, and I've been encouraging them. Okay, guys, as we read stuff together, I want you to, like, what stands out to you about what Jesus is doing? What, what does Jesus do or say that you're like, I don't get that? We, we had that the other night where we were going through, and, and where Jesus talks about chopping off your hand if it makes you sin, or, you know, chopping off your foot, or gouging out your eye, and our kids are like, that's offensive, so we had this whole talk about, like, what, is, but I, what does this mean? And, and, you know, as we go through the Gospels, there's stuff that we should go, what, what, is, what is Jesus doing here? What, what is he? He said that? And 
you know, this is the thing, is that it says there then, so, so the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are all worked up, and it says there in verse 4, knowing their thoughts. So again, just press pause. Knowing their thoughts. Th- this is both terrifying and encouraging, if, if we really want to be honest. It's encouraging that Jesus knows us. It's terrifying that Jesus knows me, but Jesus knows me. You getting what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing hidden with Jesus. Zero. You, you can't hide anything from him. So like, and we play mind games all the time with ourselves. You, we play mind games of justification in our lives of, well, I can do this, I can do that, I can say this, I can do that. And no one really knows. No one really knows what I'm thinking. No one really knows my true motives. No one, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, no, Jesus knows, by the way. He knows what's going on in here. Kids, you guys might think, I think sometimes as kids we can think like, oh, my, my parents, they don't, they don't, because I, I, I was a kid once, and I remember thinking as a, as a kid and as a teenager going, oh, yeah, you know, my parents, they don't really know what's going on. They don't really know what I'm doing. It was true, they didn't. What's terrifying is that Jesus knows and then I came to that, that point in my life, that realization where you begin to realize, oh my word, God actually knows what I'm all about. And he knows the state of my heart, and now I'm either going to have to deal with this, or I'm going to go my own way. Now, so Jesus is changing the game. That, that's really one of the things he's doing. He's changing the game. kind of happens when you're a mind reader. You change the game. So the question that I had as I'm reading this is, okay, what is Jesus exactly forgiving? Because this is pre-cross. This isn't post-cross, right? We read this in light of post-cross of, oh, right, Jesus forgives our sins. He went to the cross. He died for us. Great. No, no, but, but this is pre-all that. So what, so what is Jesus exactly doing here? Because he hasn't gone and, and suffered and died and paid the penalty for this guy's sins yet. But he's saying, son, your sins are forgiven. So, so the Jewish belief at the time, and this is, I think, what's really important for us to understand the context. They believed that all suffering and sickness in an individual was tied to sin. All of it. If you were, sin, if you were sick and you had issues with you in your life, that was because there was sin in your life. Think, think of Job. Job's friends, right? Old Testament too comes to him. There's got to be something wrong with you, Job. So imagine the weight of that on people. Imagine the weight of you, you have something wrong with you physically and everyone's looking at you like you've got sin in your life. Think of that. In, think of all of us. We all have various health concerns at times in our lives. Think about that. People are looking at you going, oh, Michael Green, in his commentary on Matthew, he makes the point that the Jewish thought was that nobody could be cured until he or she was forgiven. So that is what is going on here. This, this is, there's, there's this building up in Matthew of Jesus' power over sickness, over nature, over the demonic, 
And, and now Jesus makes this further claim. So not, just, not only do I have power over those things, I have the power to forgive sin. And so this is, this is where, this is an instant where Jesus' claim, it is shocking. Because what he's really getting at here is, I have divine authority. Like, my authority is above everyone else's. Which is also a really shocking claim. You, you can understand now why the Jewish leaders are standing there, or whatever, they're there and they're like, who does this guy think he is? And so the first claim there, when Jesus makes this, this is seen as, as blasphemous. It's seen as, as laughable. Like, and, and they're offended, right? Because what Jesus is saying is, I am in the place of God. I have divine authority. And the leaders are standing around going, are you kidding me? And so Jesus says, well, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. That's it, simple. Then the man got up and went home. That's incredible. This, this is why the physical healing of this man is so powerful. Because if his sins aren't forgiven, am I on still? Yeah, okay, something seemed to have changed on my end. If he's not forgiven, how is he healed? That, that's what left the, the leaders and the people there. It says there, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. Because they're going, this is a game changer. And it's a game changer for us if we're going to embrace this and go, this is the Jesus that we follow because over this is the claim, he has divine authority over my life. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just someone that, you know, I can kind of pick and choose. This is divine authority. And it, and it also it raises really interesting questions that we don't really have time to get into but it does lots of questions. Is all sickness tied to sin? That's a question we could have out of this. If not, if it's not, and I'd say we probably will know, we don't think all sickness is tied to sin, but if not, did this man actually need to be forgiven or was Jesus simply using him to reveal his power? And if he's doing that, well, wouldn't that kind of be dishonest on Jesus' part? So if not, well, then what's going on here? And this is really, again, this is connected to, the rest, to some of the other rest of this chapter because Jesus is interacting with people throughout this chapter that are not considered good people. And so why did Jesus need to forgive this man his sins? It's a really good question. And, and part of it is that because sin is at the root of all our problems. It is. It's not saying that sickness is because of sin, but it can be. There, there can be sickness that's because of sin. 
Sin keeps us in bondage. We, we don't know this man's story. We, we don't know the backstory of him. We don't know how he got to that place. We don't know anything about him. But Jesus, he knew his thoughts. He knew this man. Where did perhaps this man need forgiveness? Where did he need to be set free? See, because there's, there's the problem, right, of inherited sin. We've all got that problem. The problem of we, we've inherited it. We are, we, all human beings have sin, all of humanity. And there's then the problem of this ongoing pattern of sin in our lives, right? Remember the, where we make justification for this or that and we think we can hide this or that? And it's, the Bible talks about that, habitual sin in our lives, the iniquity. That, that word in the Bible where it talks about the iniquity, that's this, this thing of ongoing patterns of sin in our lives. It's Romans 7 stuff, right? Where Paul says, I, I do the stuff that I don't want to do. What do I do with that? And, the, and, and so what Jesus is showing us here is that this problem of sin it disrupts our relationship with God and it damages our lives. And can we be honest? The very idea that we need forgiveness from sin is offensive in our culture. In fact, I would say there's probably a lot of people that if you would, they go, what are you talking about? I, I don't have a framework in my mind. Like, like I have sin in my life that I need to deal with. I, I have sin that I need to confess. I have sin that I need to get free from. See, we're, we're immersed in this culture, uh, this secular culture, but it's this weird mix that we have of religious tradition and observance that's mixed in with the secular, and it's this, this weird melting pot that we're in in this culture. That's, that the two are together. And it creates tons of challenges as the secular mix with our religious observance and traditions and what we, we believe we have to do to be good people and, and this and that. But forgiveness of sin, freedom from shame, freedom from all the impact of sin is so desperately needed. So we get then to the next account where Jesus says went on from there and he sees a man named Matthew at the tax collector's booth and he says follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And it says well Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So this is, this is Jesus mixing with the culture. He called a tax collector. I mean, I know, this is like, yeah, we know that. We know Matthew was a tax collector. He, he was a Jew Working for the Romans. This, this was really lucrative for Matthew. Like in that day, he was, he was a rich dude. He was, it was good for him. He was, he was taking cuts on the side. He was taking extra here and extra there. That's, that's what tax collectors did. 
And it was tall, he was tolerated by the Romans because he worked for them, and he was despised by his own people. Now, and we also, we don't know the backstory here to Matthew. I wonder if that's also a bit of a coincidence. This is Matthew's gospel, and we don't know anything about his backstory. It's never told. And so calling, okay, Jewish rabbi, that's who Jesus is, calling a tax collector. Do we just for a moment stop and go, that's a scandal. That, that is a really big problem. And then, and then it gets worse. Then it gets worse because now Jesus is like hanging out with them and Matthew's inviting his friends, his other tax collectors, and there's other sinners, sinners coming. They're just, they're these people that aren't accepted. And it's like, why does he eat with tax collectors? So, so there's now accusations that are flying against Jesus. What, why is this guy doing this? He's not hanging out with the right people. Jesus, this is not the image that you want to have as a rabbi. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you doing this? Like, this is, you're not, you're not creating the right image for yourself, Jesus. This isn't cool. Stop. Don't do this. So the Pharisees, they're, they're, they're indignant, they're ticked off. Because they, they reveled, the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders that the day, they reveled in their perceived goodness. They had this elaborate system of righteousness that they had set up. You do this and this and this, and then you're good. And, and, and really, it, what, what encapsulated the, the Pharisees was, we're, we're, we're better than others. We're, we're, we're better. Like we walk around and we're, we're better. Might not really say that, you know, again. This is the problem, right? Jesus knows thoughts. So they're walking around and there's these perceptions like we walk around and, and, we, and, and there's stuff in our hearts that we're not really letting out, but we're walking around and yeah. Jesus knows their thoughts. Now, here's the problem for us. And I think this is a really big problem. Jesus doesn't go to either side here. He hangs out with the people that we typically don't. Can, can we be honest about that? Jesus is hanging out here with people that you probably typically wouldn't hang out with. Do, do you feel that tension in our culture? Right now. Because we, we, this is what we do. We either tend to keep our distance from, from, from those people, however we've classified that. Or the other side is we compromise to fit in. When we can compromise the gospel, we, just, we, need, to, we need to relate Jesus didn't do either. That's the thing here. Jesus didn't do either of those things. Jesus comes and he hangs out, but he doesn't embrace their identity. He doesn't approve of their choices. He says here, when, when, he, when he's confronted about why are you doing this, he says the sick are in need of a doctor. Okay, so he... Do we see what's happening here? He called those people sick. No, 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 Jesus, I'm not sick. 
No, 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 no. Jesus, you need to just affirm my life choices. Jesus, you need to affirm this is what I want to be. This is my identity. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. Jesus, you've got to fit into this. No. Jesus says, no, actually, they need a doctor. So do we see now how all of a sudden, like he's, he's now got trouble on both sides. The leader's going, what are you doing hanging out with these people? And now the people are going, what, what do you mean you don't affirm of what I'm doing? Jesus, I thought we were cool. We're hanging out. Eventually, we all have to hit the issue. Every single one of us, kids, youth, we're all, this is the issue we all hit in our lives. This isn't just adults. Am I good? Am I good? I'm good. I'm good. Or will I admit that I need to surrender and I have to actually give my life to Jesus? See, here's, this is the problem one of the problems of the evangelical world that we have right now. We go to church, we conform to the right image, we're good. If we put on the right image and we show up, there's all this stuff right here swirling in hearts. I have no idea. I mean, unless someone shares with me and unless someone, like, we get real and we talk about stuff, I have no idea. We, we, put on, we can put on all sorts of, of nice appearances, right? I can too. Is, and, and, and that's the question we need to ask. Is that what we're talking about here? Are we just talking about church being, let's just make good, respectable citizens. Let's make people who are functional. Let's make people who have morals and ethics and, 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 and will be successful. Is that what this is about? Isn't that what Jesus was encountering with the ruling religious establishment of his day? Exactly that. What does it mean to follow the way of Jesus and obey him? And Jesus says there in verse 13, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know why he says that? Sacrifice doesn't deal with the root issues. Sacrifice was just a, a, a glazing over. Sacrifice, it just, it reminded people of their sin. That's what sacrifice did. It covered them but it didn't deal with the root issue. That's what Jesus is, he says, I'm coming here because you need the real issue dealt with. I think John Mix said this in his message in May, but it's, maybe you've heard it elsewhere too, but it's grace meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us where it finds us. Right? That's the wonderful thing about grace. There's grace, but it doesn't just leave you where you are. That's cheap grace. Costly grace moves you to where Jesus is calling you to be. 
This is where Jesus, he doesn't leave you, where he finds you. That's why he says in the gospel, he says, go and sin no more. And that's the, that's the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus is to new life. The invitation of Jesus is to transformation in our lives. And that brings us to verse 14 to 17. So it's Jesus and John's disciples come to him. And they asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? So, you know, it's, they're, they're getting at with Jesus. They're going, this, this is the way we do things, Jesus. This, this is, there, there's a standard. There's a procedure here. This is the way we do things. Why aren't your disciples and you, why aren't you following and getting in line and getting in the queue and, and doing the right protocol? What's, what's, what's happening here? And Jesus, what he's saying here, and this is the whole thing about new wineskins, old wineskins. You don't put a, you know, you don't just put a patch on an old wineskin because then it'll tear and it'll, that's, then, then everything's wasted. No, there's something here. I'm doing a new thing. That's what we were singing about this morning, right? There's this new thing. Jesus is making new wine, if you will. There's a new way that we're invited to. And, and, and really, this is about Jesus is, they're saying, Jesus, you're not following the status quo. Don't, stop rocking the boat, Jesus. Stop it. You're eating with sinners. You're not fasting. You're, you're, get with the program, Jesus. This is how rabbis operate. You know, there's, there's lots. This is where I think, like, we can, we can really bring this home. There's lots of religious traditions in our neck of the woods. Lots. This is the way we do things. And there's lots of bondage and oppression in that. Now, and I'm, okay, we are not like somehow we're here and, and other churches are here. That's not what I'm, we have our own issues, we have our own. We, this is about us introspectively looking, going, where do I have ways of doing things that may actually not be in alignment with the way of Jesus, right? But this is, this is about things that we believe, this or that theological framework, we believe this or we believe that. So I remember years ago, the very first um, friendship festival that we, we, were, we had here, like the, that we were part of, and I remember going to it, the, the Sunday morning service, and... Okay, so, so backstory, I, I've grown up in a fairly charismatic Pentecostal background, right, where Pentecostal flavors, not an actual, not the Pentecostal denomination, but that, that sort of flavor, where standing and raising hands in worship is kind of just the bare minimum, <laughs> okay? Like, I came, I, I, was, I was raised in an environment where, like, we had a lot of dancing. It wasn't just... Dancing in my heart. No, no, it was dancing with my feet. Like, and I am so thankful that as a youth and as a young adult, like, I got to experience the move of the Spirit, and I got to experience worship, and I got to experience things that were like, that changed me. It changed me, and I met God powerfully in worship. And, and I, so I was in church contexts, coming into to Landmark, we're standing, raising hands. That's almost like a given. What are you talking about? So we get to the Friendship Festival and we just instinctively stand and we start raising our hands. 
that, that's what we do in worship. And then I'm kind of like, you know, sideways peripheral vision. And I'm, I'm starting to realize like, there's like very few people doing this. And there was a few of us from LCF. And that's it. And, I, and then at one point I dared, because I was in, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? I got to be in the front. So I kind of look around and my first reaction was, are you kidding me? I'm being honest, guys, because you know what? Later, a couple years after that, I happened to witness the Saturday night party here in town, right? The music part. We didn't go a lot then because we had young kids, but I remember being at one, and I saw a lot of those same people who were really getting jiggy with it on Saturday night. (laughs) Sunday morning was a different story, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm kind of trying to figure out, do we just need to have the same music on Sunday morning? Is that what it would take? I still don't get it. All seriousness, I still don't get it. So here's the question, I think, for us. What is the new thing that Jesus wants to do in me? What is the new thing that he wants to do amongst us? You know, there's old ways. You can put a patch on it. You think that we've got a new thing, we'll, put, we'll, we'll do the patch on the old. Where is Jesus saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. No more old wineskins. I've got new things that I want to do. Are we willing for how uncomfortable that might get for us? And we all might be at various levels of the spectrum of how uncomfortable that is. What, what, what are others going to think? How are they going to judge me? How are they, what, what assumptions are they going to make about me? You know, there's a level of that where you just have to go, I don't care because Jesus is calling me to this. Not because you're trying to be offensive. I, not, none of that. N- none of that. It's about obedience to the way of Jesus. Okay, I got I to gotta hurry up here. You know what, actually, no. I'm going to stop. We'll pick this up. Because I, you know what, there's, there's more here that I think the Lord has. Yeah. You know what, let's, let's, uh, let's camp on this because I think that there's something here that Jesus wants for us this morning. I think there's something about what does Jesus want to do that's new wine. Where he wants to say, no, I'm calling you to a new wineskin. I'm not calling you to just stick a patch on the old. And I think all of us, that is, that is such a temptation for us. To just kind of go, well, this is the way we're used to. This is the way that's comfortable. This is the most, this is the way we've just done it. Let's just stick a patch. And Jesus says, but, but I'm doing a new thing. And, and, and that's where I think this is, um, 
This is where we really need the Holy Spirit. Because this is not about us. This is not about me figuring out what my new way is and person X figuring out their new way and person Y figuring out their new way. And I mean, yes, we have, our, we have to hear from the Lord personally, for sure. But there's also God saying, I want to do this amongst you. And that absolutely requires the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you have been given to us to draw us to Jesus, to reveal more of Jesus to us, to bring us into this new life, to reveal more and more and more of the things of God to us. And Jesus, we, we want you. We want your way. We don't want to try and follow our ways. We want your way. And Lord, I pray that you would burn in us, that we would burn white hot for the things of God. That, that the things that you have for us, Lord, that we would burn for those things. God, would you come and would you touch our hearts? Lord, where we are in need of you. God, where we have ways of thinking and ways of believing and ways of living, Lord, that are actually not in alignment with you. Jesus, would you bring that into alignment with your way? Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace, and your love, and the way that you meet us. Thank you, Lord.